Hey everyone, good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are joining me from. I am so very pleased that you did choose to join me here today with our friends here at, with our friends here at Team Ruby, who uh, as always uh, I'm so very fortunate for their uh, for my colleagues there and for the platform they provide me and for you, for the audience uh, that I'm able to speak to. So Patrick is our uh, colleague directly at Ruby, who is behind the scenes on all of these events, helping them to happen. So thank you to him. Thank you to uh, a bunch of my friends who are joining again. Uh, and thank you especially to all our first timers joining me here on our regular every other Thursday events. So those of you who have joined me before know that I like to talk, uh, start off with something that I am grateful for because, well, as I like to say, food in feeding people is an act of love, it is an act of kindness, it is something that we definitely need a lot more of in our world these days. So thank you for all that you are doing to spread love, to spread good nutrition, to spread cheer, uh, and all the things that we do through the table and our efforts to feed people. And so in all of my recipes, gratitude is, well, it's the most important ingredient because without it, cooking uh, just isn't as much fun, right? And we don't nourish as much as we could. So. The thing that I am grateful for today, uh, well, I've got two young boys, uh, one of them nine months old, uh, little Ambrose Lee, we call him Rosie, uh, and he is just a pudge nugget of incarnate joy. Uh, oh my gosh, we love, oh, we are so in love with him. Oh, we love him so. He's just a fun person, but this week uh, he, he's starting to get his teeth in, um, which is not so much fun. For him, I mean, he has bones sticking through his face, uh, and that, I mean, honestly, that has to suck. I'm sorry for him. However, that is also opening up the world of food to him, and that is really fun. And so this week alone, he has met watermelon for the first time in his life because, wow, what a cool thing that is, right? Uh, he met a graham cracker two days ago, which... Uh, you know what? Graham crackers are just really kind of like the delicious ninja of the world. They're so tasty. And then yesterday he got to meet a croissant for the first time. Uh, and I got to perform Baby Heimlich too, which is, you know, good and bad. Anyway, it's just really fun to uh, introduce new foods slowly and with care and with caution. And that is what I'm grateful for today. So maybe I hope that you, before producing your next meal, whatever you do, take a moment, just be present, be mindful, uh, tell the world something that you are grateful for. Maybe you will be grateful for the salad that you're going to produce tonight. The delicious, amazing salad kicked up a notch because you came here to spend time with us today. And for that, we are also grateful. So I have some notes on what I want to talk about in salads. Um, and uh, yeah, so other than that, we don't have any event document today to share with you any recipes or anything like that. However, uh, we do have the question column over to the right-hand side on your screen. Please do put in any question you would like to ask me. No topic is out of bounds, though the topic at hand is uh, salads. Don't need to stick to that. If there's a question over there that you particularly like, just click that heart button and whoop, 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 it gets voted up to the top to make sure that I get to it. I've only got about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 10 minutes now left in the day before I have to go back on daycare duty. So... I'll try and get to all the questions, but let's now dive into salads. First thing I want to ask you, what's the purpose of your salad? Huh? What's the purpose? I mean, that might be a weird 
question, you think, to start off with. Uh, but salads are such a diverse, it's such a diverse category of dish, right? I mean, like I'm describing basically like a third of all food possibilities when I say salad, right? I mean, salad is the composition of a couple of things or maybe a lot of things. That describes a whole lot of food now, doesn't it, right? So salads can play a very different role in cuisine. So the first question that you should ask yourself around salads is, what's the purpose of it, right? Is it your meal? Is it your meal? Is it a, a means to just use leftovers from your fridge? Is it a convenience factor? Uh, is salad a, a, a dainty, beautiful, gem-like, pre precision uh, sort of aggregation and composition of ingredients that's really meant to showcase creativity, seasonality, etc., introduce the theme of a larger meal in more of a professional setting? Uh, is it a digestif, as is commonly in, in Europe, when it's served after the meal? Uh, you know, is it part of a tasting menu where it's meant to kind of be a vegetable course so that maybe proteins can stand alone later on in the meal, whatever it is. So there's a lot of different ways to just approach what a salad is, what is its purpose, before we even get down to the basics of, well, then how do you make that salad succeed? I'm going to take one little pause here to mention that we're getting a new roof on our house right now, which is the least sexy way to spend money, by the way. Uh, you spend a lot of money in order to get the thing that you hopefully already had. Um, that said, thriving in this world means having a meal in front of you and a roof over your head, so we are thankful for the roof. But if you hear banging and, and impact drivers and all that, I'm okay. We know it's happening. We're all good. So, okay, with that. Let's get back to salads and the idea of that purpose. So by and large, I'm going to speak to kind of any of those purposes by talking about the general sort of successful components or those critical control points in what makes a salad good. And the first is, well, it's true of every dish, and that is balance. You have to find things that work together, not just on a flavor way, not just on a textural way, but on a fundamental taste way. And the difference between flavor and taste is, well, peaches, they, they have the flavor of peaches, right? But they have, in terms of taste, they have sweetness with a hint of sour on the back, right? In terms of texture, they have juicy with just a hint of elastic snap to them, right? So thinking about flavor, texture, and taste as different subjects here, we need to find balance in all of those. What is a vinaigrette? Well, it's a perfectly balanced sauce between acid and fat, or acid and carrying ingredient, whether that's a, a creamy tofu puree, whether that's cream or mayonnaise, etc. Whatever that vehicle is to kind of carry the flavor and to balance it out. So balance being that key, sort of when I go to design a salad, I always think about that as sort of, okay, what is the salty component? What is the sour component? What's the sweet component? Is there a bitter component? And how do I bring all of these into EQ, into equilibrium, right? So 
that's the first thing that anybody's going to taste when they dive into the salad, right? Is sort of, does this construction work? Does anything just seem out of balance? Is there way too much sour? Is there way too much fat? Is there way too much salt or sweet, et cetera, right? So always think about that in the end, as the end game of how do you bring things into the mix that ultimately achieve the ultimate, that ultimately achieve the goal. And this is helpful when you're thinking about saying like a beet salad, right? Well, it's a beet salad. It's got beets on it. Well, what are the other components? Well, you have sweet and earthy in the beet. What do you need? You need some tangy component in order to moderate that. Well, a lot of people would use goat cheese or a sherry vinegar, some marinade on it, etc. This just gets you into the mindset of how to think about a salad, how to build it up. So the other thing that, uh, well, I, I guess we'll start talking in just into the sort of the, uh, the underpinnings of it. And we'll talk about building blocks. So the building blocks of salads, building blocks, as I said, could just be leftovers, in which in that case, you're trying to achieve the utilization of something. So it's more just kind of reverse engineering towards balance. So in this case, what I'm going to be talking about is about making from scratch. So what are the building blocks? Most salads in our mindset are built upon what? Greens, right? Salad greens, whether that's Iceberg lettuce, as was the case when I was growing up, I mean, that, that was lettuce. I mean, iceberg was really just a, I mean, lettuce was a modifier of the word iceberg. Really, it was so ubiquitous. Um, but now you go to any store and you, of course, have an incredible array of options that uh, really defy seasonality. Uh, we have baby greens available to us all year round from spinach to kale to kale mixes to power greens mixes, baby bull's blood, beet mixes, I mean, et cetera. Like, what a great time to be eating, really, because just delicious abounds all about us. So when you're thinking about greens, think about what the individual flavors are in greens. Now, when we think about a greens mix, the first thing that comes to most people's minds is mescaline mix, right? And what most people don't consider is that that is a centuries old, basically, uh, sort of evolution of taste of different greens that have been specifically grown together in order to provide this perfect mix. And this we get from the French canon of cuisine. And so in mescaline mix, there is a soft lettuce, typically red oak leaf or a butter leaf lettuce, something soft that sits on the palate that carries flavors really well, but that in and of itself doesn't have that much assertiveness. Into the mix also would be herbs, whether it's parsley or chervil, uh, tarragon, dill, uh, fennel, fennel uh, uh, fronds, etc. So those are the beautiful, soaring, aromatic components to it. Oftentimes then there will be a textural component, whether it's a radicchio leaf, uh, whether it's a type of cabbage or something that has real crunch to it, and then oftentimes then there's a balancing component in the form of arugula, peppery, kind of give you that uh, piquant bite to it that really rounds it all out. So a perfectly crafted blend of salad greens has done so much of the work for you already, right? I mean, really a great salad at that point is just picking a right 
oil, whether it's a neutral olive oil, nut oil, etc., just the right amount of vinegar, usually three, one part vinegar to three parts fat or maybe even four parts fat, just blending it together and then seasoning it correctly. And you've got a really great salad. Does that express you as the cook? No, it expresses you as the shopper and you and your confidence to just put a good product forward. And that is another building block of salads, and that is confidence. You have to have confidence in your ingredients. So of those mixes, whichever one works for you is good. And you know what? There's different nutritional profiles in a lot of them. So go with what suits you best with what you like. For example, in our house, we don't really eat a lot of baby spinach. Why? Because my wife doesn't like the texture of it. She finds it tannic. You know, she, the back of her teeth get dry when she eats it. I get it. She doesn't really enjoy it, right? So we eat a lot of baby kale mixes. Um, we also grow a lot out back and just are sort of, you know, subjugated to what's, what's growing now. Um, but that is your building block there. So one of my favorite, just very simple, straightforward salads that I do is uh, arugula fresh, bitey, peppery arugula uh, that I mix with mint. Any of those of you who have joined me before know that I love me some mint. mint. Mint is good. Mint is really good. Mint is also an ingredient that grows in the way that you should use it. And if any of you have mint in your garden, you have probably asked yourself or many neighbors, how do I control my mint? And the answer is eat it. Eat it. Put it in everything. Put it in your tomato sauce. Put it in your salads. Put it in your salad dressing. Put it in your drink. Drop a couple leaves of it into your wine at dinner. I mean, literally just use it for everything. It's delicious. Mint, uh, though it makes things, it adds a lot of mint flavor to things. I, th I find that the flavor of mint is a lot like the flavor of pepper in that it really goes well with just about everything and adds this wonderful sort of upbeat background flavor to things that really make other flavors better rather than make the dish mintier. Mint and arugula is a particularly delightful little combination. Uh, so mint, arugula, and the mint here is, and it's like 20 parts arugula to one part mint. Uh, the mint is more of a flavor garnish. And then very thin shaved apple, something crunchy, something sweet, like a gala, a pink lady apple, a Fuji, a honey crisp, something like that. And then a simple vinaigrette of a, of a nice olive oil with lemon juice. And there you go. That is one of my absolute go-to salads. Um, I season all of my salads with just kosher salt. I don't deal with fancy pants, sexy, hand-harvested, off the coast of you know, uh, Atlantis salts. I, I, I don't really go for that necessarily. Uh, just get the seasoning right. Um, so that's my favorite sort of mixed green salad. So another uh, thing that we talk about, though, is presentation. And this is another big thing to consider at the outset. Presentation, and this is especially true with more of the professional client uh, sort of cooking here, which is that's great that you came up with this really amazing, interesting idea in your head to have this Parmesan twill with little potato chips sticking out of it, all with this perfectly entwined, organized salad that just tufts out as though it were sort of spring itself, leaping off the plate. Wow, that's great. Awesome. It's beautiful. 
how long did it take you to construct that? Yeah? Okay, so you can actually construct it fast enough. Yeah, great. Can your server get it to the table without falling over? No? Did you ever think about that? Well, you need to. You need to, right? Because that's a part of the, that's a critical control point in the salad process. When I was first coming up as a cook, uh, it was in the, uh, in the 90s when tall food was the thing. It was all about tall food. What makes something delicious? Stack it. Stack it really high. What's a caprese salad? No, I mean, you could put it all around a plate, right? Slice of tomato, slice of mozzarella, slice of tomato, mozzarella, all the way around. Or you could stack it up high into the teetering towers of, yeah, it would taste just the same if it was on a plate, whatever. And, man, I saw time and time again salads just go toppling over because the food runner or the server is trying to take five plates. You know, Think about the whole process of your salad. And if you're a home cook and you're just serving your family a bowl of salad, a beautiful old walnut hollowed out bowl, great. You know what? You don't need to think about this very much, right? But it still does need to be attractive. It still does need to sort of sing in some ways. So that architecture of the salad is also very important. And the architecture leads me into the other sort of another fundamental topic, uh, which is bulk. So bulk. If you're just doing leafy greens, but you want to like that, that arugula salad that I was talking about with the apples. Now, the apples, if they're shaved super thin on a mandolin, well, they, they become functionally just like a salad green. They mix right in and become part of the same voluminous structure. If I were to dice those apples and toss them in a bowl, where would the apples be when I was done mixing the salad? At the bottom of the bowl. Yeah, they would be. Uh huh. So when I go to plate the salad, what do I get? I get the arugula and the mint, and I put it on the plate, right? And now it's sitting in this beautiful mound. And then what else happens? Well, then I have these apples at the bottom that I kind of scatter over the top and... So now all of a sudden the construction itself becomes a detriment to the eating process and the balance of the dish, right? Because you can't actually effectively get at the diced apple with the arugula and so you end up kind of just eating them separately. The whole thing doesn't work as well as it could have, right? So therefore, that is a perfect example of how architecture can actually defeat the deliciousness of the salad. So when you start thinking about bulk in those ways, uh, think about how everything integrates. So if your bulk is chickpeas, if your bulk is uh, beans, if your bulk is tortilla chips or croutons, etc., cetera, um, those are going to be weightier. They're going to fall down towards the bottom. How do you keep it all integrated? Well, a lot of it depends on how you cut them, right? I'm going to give you an example of this, which I had thought about last night when I was lying in bed thinking about this event today, and then I forgot about it until just now, so forgive me. I'm going to go over here for a second. Let's get my trusty peeler. And there, here we go. So, carrot, right? Everybody knows a carrot. If you were to shred this on a box grater, yes, some of it would integrate, right? If you were to slice it thin into those beautiful long rounds, would it integrate? No, 
And in fact, it would be its own bite, right? It, it wouldn't really be a wonderful thing. So how do I integrate the sweetness of a carrot, the crunch of a carrot, the color of a carrot, the volume and bulk of a carrot, also the cost effectiveness of a carrot into a salad? Here's a peeler, right, folks? What do you do to start using a carrot, right? Well, you peel it, right? So there's your peel and your carrot. Hmm. What does this look like to you? Right? I'm having trouble showing him. Well, it looks like carrot peels, right? Well, it also looks like a pretty darn good addition to a salad, right? So keep going. This is how I do it. Just eating the peeler back and forth. I typically do this over a bowl, not looking at a camera like I'm doing now. So maybe it ends up a little bit better, but uh, a little cleaner. But there you go. That's all you do is just I use about half the carrot at a time. And just, I never take the peeler off of it. I just kind of do these long strips while I'm rotating around. And what do you end up with? You end up with carrots all over your lap because, yeah, because of me. There we go. All right. So look at that. Isn't that beautiful? It's a nice way to integrate the carrots into your salad, right? Because guess what it does? It now intertwines, it literally wraps itself around the leaves, threading color as though it were literally thread itself throughout your dish. I mean, wow, that's absolutely beautiful, right? Okay, so do it with celery, do it with radishes, do it with turnips, do it with rutabagas, do it with raw butternut squash, do it with, well, basically any vegetable you can put a peeler to. Cucumbers, everything, anything, it works this way. And... The benefit is that it integrates, right? So when you're thinking about the components of your dish, that's an important thing to do. Also, the fact is that, you know, you then get all of that in the bite. So that sweetness, that crunch mixes in with the pepperiness. Okay, so there you go. What do you do with this side of the carrot? Same thing. You just hold it in the opposite direction and you go that way, right? My five-year-old... My four-and-a-half-year-old, he loves doing this, and we do it almost every night for our salads. It's a great way for him to get involved in it. He's, uh, yeah, you know what? It's just a fun way to do it, and it, it takes uh, takes your salad and makes it a little more creative. It's a fun way to do it. Certainly colorful. Okay, so how do you integrate things like beans, like chickpeas, something like that, that is just of volume and bulk that it's going to sink down to the bottom? Well, the answer is, I've found, is to cut down the other ingredients to kind of meet the chickpeas where they are. You're never going to get the chickpeas to be like the arugula, right? But you can get your arugula to be a little bit more like your chickpeas. So take your arugula, stack it all up. Don't go overboard here. You're not trying to create art. Uh, you're just trying to get to a point where you can chiffonade the arugula or the spinach or the kale or whatever it is or just rough chop it. And so that you're making more of, you basically getting the kale or the whatever it is down to the size of the chickpea so that it all integrates. So that when you stick a fork through it, hey, cool, I got some chickpeas and I got some greens and I got some whatever else it is. So find whatever is sort of the dominant denominator of that salad is going to be and then match it. Meet it where it is with your other ingredients. Okay, so... Crunchies, 
let's talk about oven baked quinoa, cooked quinoa, or wild rice. I mean, things that can just get sprinkled over top that add incredible just, you know, texture and, and interest to the salad. You know, the one one of the issues I have with salads is that if they're if you're eating a large salad, it can get really boring after a while. Just the you know the munching on it takes a lot. So you need those little points of differentiation in order to just keep interest in it. So oven baked quinoa, you know, a stovetop fried quinoa, and just a dash of olive oil, or just dry toasted until it begins to pop. Throw some popcorn in there. Take some saltine crackers. I don't care. Just like that. Dump them in. Croutons straight out of the bag or make your own out of yesterday's bread. Uh, I use a lot of um, tortilla chips. Regardless of what the cuisine flavor of your dish is, I mean, if you're doing a, a an arugula and spinach salad with a caraway vinaigrette and dill, like, okay, you're in Northern Europe, but I want some crunchies and I have some tortilla chips. <laughs> cool. Great. There you go. Crunch them up, add them in. Tortilla chips are neutral enough in flavor that you don't necessarily have to introduce Latin cuisine to the dish by introducing the, um, the tortilla chips. So that's one of the tips and tricks that I use. Uh, do they go soggy? Yes, after a while. But do they absorb the vinaigrette and help balance out the dish? Yeah, they were really wonderful addition. So uh, let's see. I know that we're getting a lot of questions. I'm coming up on about half an hour of just talking at you about things. So the last sort of structure or format of salad that I want to talk about is a vegetable-heavy uh, format. And whether this is a potato salad, salad, right? Whether it's a uh, quinoa salad where that is the base of it, where other things are added in as garnish. Uh, but one of my very favorite salads is raw beets on the... Uh, Box grater. I don't even bother to peel them. I just get all the dirt off of them, especially out of the stem end, and then just shred them on a box grater. And then I salt them, and I let them sit with a little bit of vinegar on them for about half an hour just to help soften them. But you want some of that brilliant bulb texture to it. Uh, and then I mix in some walnut oil, some crunchy walnuts, uh, some tarragon chopped like that, or some green onion, something to just give it that herbaceous flavor to it to kind of lift the flavor <coughs> out of the soil and kind of have it above ground in terms of uh, its overall appeal. And there you go. I mean, it's absolutely delicious. It takes beets and takes them from a kind of a monochromatic uh, dish and turns it into something truly wonderful, different, unique, and you can make it well in advance of your meal. It's delicious the next day, but don't stop at beets. I do the same thing with carrots. When I lived and worked in Morocco, uh, I ate a lot of carrot salads with just carrots shredded on a box grater, walnuts, currants, uh, paprika, a little bit of cumin in there, a little bit of olive oil. Absolutely fantastically delicious. And for something like that, you don't even need to really dress it very much if you don't want to. It can just sort of sit on the side as this crunchy component. Just a little bit of salt is almost enough to balance it out. But celery root, turnips, rutabagas, butternut squash, etc., etc., etc. There's brilliant ways to incorporate raw vegetables into salads in so many ways. So with that... Hey, that was a, a, a diatribe on salads, a whole lot of things. I hope you got a bunch of ideas out of it. 
uh, and I'm happy to talk through any of those ideas more in particular. Uh, we can talk through vinaigrettes. I know we had a couple of questions on that, sort of sauces and balances. But with that, let's dive into what you're interested in. So from Terry, hello, friend. What is your best eye appeal ingredient in salad? Colorful fruit, interesting veggie, edible flowers, etc. Great question. Uh, I think beyond eye appeal, there's also sex appeal. So if you're thinking about just getting people amped up and excited about the dish, whether it's you're putting it on a menu, trying to get it to sell, or whether you're just trying to get your family or even yourself to be like, oh man, I got this delicious arugula and mint salad with crisp apples and a little bit of pistachios on top. Woo! Like, right? Yeah. So what's your eye appeal ingredient? Well, it's the differentiation. It's that stark white with those ribbons of apple skin, the little red flaking through with the sort of threaded through with a brilliant green. I think the greatest eye appeal on salads is integration. I don't necessarily, I'm not buying one thing. I'm not buying the nasturtium flower that sits on top. I want a really great salad that's integrated. So finding that integrated appeal is really important to me. Citrus, you mentioned, I think citrus is an incredible component of dishes. Uh, there is this very big trend these days to include citrus in salads where you slice the citrus you know, uh, equatorially. Uh, so you just have these rounds that look like brilliant stars or sort of suns, but they're really, really hard to eat. You get a lot of pith. Uh, you also get a lot of that um, uh, connective uh, tissue that's in there. You get a lot, just, it's not a very good eating experience. It's hard to cut them with a fork. Uh, the appeal of it is visually in the presentation, but actually in the function of eating it. I now have to use a knife on my salad. Like it's just kind of, it's just a little bit weird. Um, so, with that, I, I would do citrus supremes, or and with that, I would even mix them into the vinaigrette. Uh, so you have chunky little bits that still appear to the eye and have that eye appeal, but are not so big and so big a part of the function of the of the presentation that they don't integrate into the flavor. So getting back again to that word integration, that's where the eye appeal is to me. But you know what? The eye appeal is also going to come from just diversity, right? I mean, don't go overboard, but a potato salad made with russet potatoes, yeah, okay. But made with a couple of purple potatoes and a couple of red skin potatoes and maybe some sweet potatoes and some, some creamer potatoes, right? I mean, all of those are sitting right next to each other in the store. They all cook in the same water at the same time. You're not really adding much more work, but oh, hot damn, your salad looks a lot better. Whoa, right? So it's all about the composition of it, necessarily the eye appeal there, than necessarily that additional garnish ingredient. Hope that helps, Terry. Thanks. I appreciate your question. All right, Catherine M. Hi, friends. How do you keep lettuce fresh? Do you keep everything separate? What's the best and most nutritious lettuce? Okay. Well, uh, I wouldn't say the best and most nutritious, but typically the darker, more saturated, deeper the color, uh, the more nutritious or uh, let's say the more nutrient dense it tends to be. Iceberg lettuce? Yeah, there's not a, it's a little bit vapid. 
in terms of flavor profile as well as in terms of nutritional profile. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just say it. Is it worth eating? Yeah, I mean, it's perfectly good. If that, hey, if that's if that's your thing, man, great, go for it. Cool. Uh, kales, bull's blood, baby beet greens, amaranth greens, quinoa greens, moringa greens and leaves, things like that. Uh, all of which I grow here on our farm. Those are where you're really going to get your nutrient density. Uh, introducing sea greens, as I call them, or seaweeds, as uh, they're known, uh, whether it's kelp or dulse or Irish moss or nori or hijiki. Uh, introducing those is going to up your nutritional profile just automatically because they are so nutrient dense. But they also make for great salads uh, because they are ingredients of consequence. I mean, they've got personality, they've got structure, they've got integrity, they're going to stand on a plate well. Uh, they're just nice ingredients to be working with. Plus, you can use bigger flavors in composition or in conjunction with them. So iceberg, yeah, it's just a vehicle for blue cheese dressing, but I mean, yes, french fries are just a socially acceptable conveyance of ketchup into our face. I mean, that really, if we could just eat the ketchup in America, we would, quite honestly. Um, but we have to have french fries. Iceberg lettuce is kind of the socially acceptable conveyance of ranch dressing. That's what we really want to be doing. So ingredients like kale or kelp or bull's blood, they're going to let you play around with pistachio oil, with agrumato, which is an olive oil that is pressed with lemons at the time of pressing. I, like, I can't recommend this enough. Available online retailers, but agrumato, A-R-A-G-R-U-M-A-T-I, agrumato or agrumati. Like, there's blood orange, there's lemon, there's grapefruit. I mean, they're just utterly incredible. And three drops just took your salad to a different, different stratosphere. Um, those bigger ingredients give you the opportunity to use flavors like this more effectively. How do I keep lettuce fresh? Well, if you're buying bagged lettuce in the prepackaged bags at the store, don't open it until you need it. Just don't open it. You know why? Because they pack them with carbon monoxide. They're not packed. They're not pillows of air with oxygen and nitrogen and all the other things that are up in the atmosphere. No, it's carbon monoxide, which is an inert gas. And so it prevents spoilage. Um, and that's why if you have a package of salad greens, it can last for two weeks in the, in the fridge, right? Which is kind of weird, but they last. So with doing something like that, just don't open them. And uh, though I lament to say this in terms of using more plastic, buying them in smaller packages will help them last longer. Of course, there is more plastic. There is greater cost associated um, I'm not a fan of either of those. I get to grow my own. I have a, a I have acre of land under under cultivation. I, I recognize that that's not everybody's reality. However, growing greens is really satisfying. It's really easy. It's something that can be done inside fairly easily. Uh, there are a number of grow kits available, and in terms of an ingredient to grow inside, second to herbs. I think that greens really are worth it. I mean, to snip them, wash them, dry them, dress them, eat them, all within a 10-minute, 20-minute span is worth it. It is an 
it is a better experience. Um, I understand, though, even that's not everyone's reality. So uh, my other advice is if you do buy in bulk, which is great because it encourages you to eat them in bulk, which is great, uh, just keep using them. Just keep eating them. Uh, you know, it, they are a delicate ingredient. Don't try and have them hang around for a long period of time. If you do have them hanging around, though, uh, the best way that I've found is wrap them in a moist paper towel, uh, especially if you're dealing with something like dandelion greens or even asparagus, uh, you know, cut spinach, whatever it is. Place a moist, damp paper towel on top, not wet, just moist on top. Give them a little bit of, of air. Uh, don't let the moisture build up on them because that will cause rot, I found. Um, and you know what? Fancy pants for refrigerators, they say they have a crisper drawer specifically for this where humidity is controlled. So use that. So there you go. A lot in those answers to unpack, but uh, I hope that helps. Cool. Hey, Pamela, what's the best way to store fresh herbs and greens? Cool. Well, just as I said, so uh, herb bunches like parsley, cilantro, things like that so with some girth to them. Uh, moist paper towels and then just wrap them up and roll them gently so there's no pressure on them. Uh, I tend to take the rubber band off them immediately uh, or the you know the metal twist tie, whatever it is. Uh, it just makes it a lot easier to store them. Store them in a crisper drawer uh, if you can or in one of the drawers in your refrigerator. Uh, but also just kind of use them up as fast as you can. Uh, if you do have parsley, cilantro, something like that, that is going bad chop it all up and well, just, you know, make a stir fry and just use a whole lot of it or saute up some zucchini and throw in a whole lot of cilantro because yeah, delicious. It, it is. Um, you can also puree them and freeze them in little uh, ice cube trays that are specifically designed for this purpose or uh, they're specifically allocated to this purpose uh, or in little plastic baggies. So there you go. All right. Hi, Laura. In my salads, I love simple dressings that don't contain too many ingredients and especially don't contain soy, such as tamari and the like. Soy milk is fine. Or chili peppers. Ooh. Can you share a couple of options that meet those preferences? Yeah. So uh, it's sort of a special category of um, dressings that would include that fermented soy, tamari, soy sauce uh, inclusion. So... I mean, that's sort of its whole cuisine in terms of a flavor profile that you're looking to uh, not go towards. So I have a collection of vinegars that I have uh, because I use so much vinegar. I use vinegar not just in vinaigrettes, but I use it in sautéed vegetables and roasted vegetables. I basically finish almost everything I cook with a dash of vinegar. So in my house, I've got... Uh, well, first and foremost, I make my own vinegar, and here's why. Uh, my wife doesn't drink wine, and I have discovered that in my life, four glasses of wine, which is one bottle, is too much, and zero glasses is not enough. So we tend to end up having some wine left over at the end of you know a couple of days when the wine just got a little bit tired sitting on the counter. So I've got a vinegar barrel that I keep uh, in the other room. And I just, you know what, when I'm done with that wine, I just take whatever's left and I dump it in. And thus, I make my own red wine vinegar. I have then other bottles that I will take some fresh picked, ripe, beautiful strawberries, and I'll just throw, uh, you know, a pint of strawberries in there, cover them with 
with vinegar, let them steep a week or two, and then strain them off. And so I've got strawberry vinegar. Uh, I have sherry vinegar, which is my favorite. It's the most punchy, characterful, characterful. That's good. That's good vocabulary for you, right? Teamsmanship, characterfulness. Um, sherry vinegar, I've got a couple of different varieties of sherry vinegar, an aged one, as well as sort of a workaday one. That's also remnant from my time cooking and living in Spain, where that is the principal vinegar. Uh, balsamic, of course, is great. And, you know, I stay away from the cheap balsamics. They're, are they tasty? Yeah, but, I mean, it's caramel water, basically, is what it is. A good balsamic vinegar is worth the money because you use so much less of it because it's so impactful. So I've got that, and then... Um, just because I've got a white balsamic as well, I don't really use that much. Um, so with that selection of vinegars, there is enough personality in each of those to make the everyday dressing just that much more interesting because the strawberry vinegar is really beautiful with root vegetables. It just brings out this magic floral quality to them. The regular red wine vinegar is just really great as my workaday go-to vinaigrette. Uh, the other thing that I do is have a selection of oils. Uh, so the agramati, this is, again, that hugely, highly aromatic uh, olive oil pressed with lemons. Uh, and then have a workday olive oil. I use the Cento brand right up here. Um, just because I found I, these are $20 a piece. Uh, in my local store, um, local Italian specialty store. I buy them by the case and I use them and I use them with abandon because at $20, not really worried about the cost on that. So I've got options and I understand that, you know, for everybody and cooks that are cooking for one or two uh, might not have the option to have such a sort of stocked pantry. I, I get that. Uh, but that's what I found keeps things interesting to me is having just a few flavor varieties to things that make the fundamental construction a, really an, expo a, an opportunity. It's still one part vinegar, three to four parts oil, a little bit of salt, maybe some shallots diced and thrown in there. Right? It's the same thing, except I have sort of this permutation, this wide open permutation of different options. So uh, the other things that I would mention is don't be afraid to throw anything into your vinaigrette. I, throw some citrus, not just citrus juice, but you know what? Throw the whole lemon in there. Why not? This is a Meyer lemon. They're absolutely delicious. You know, just cut off a little bit, throw it in a Ninja or Vita Prep or blender or whatever it is, blend it up. Make that your sort of creamy base. Is it going to add some bitterness? Great. Yeah, absolutely. So put some apple in your salad, etc. Think about salads not as this sort of staid formal construction, but really as, huh, can I do that? Because the answer is, uh-huh, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. So there you go. I hope that helps with Laura. Take care. Thank you for joining. Hey, Tom C. Pleasure to have you here. Sorry, I know you're doing salads this session, but I'm looking to cook octopus on the grill. Cool. I love talking fish. Uh, and would love to hear from you how to grill octopus, especially the preparation before grilling. Boil it? Seasoning? Tom. All right. Great question. I appreciate it. Um, so octopus is a – it's a difficult ingredient just because it 
It's got a lot of variables to it. Uh, there are also as many old cook's tails as there uh, to octopus tenderness as there are cooks. Um, what I have found best for octopus and the easiest sort of universal way to go about it is take a cleaned octopus, and this is a, a, a large one, so not the not the small ones. Uh, cleaned octopus meaning the head and the beak have been cleaned. Uh, take some onion celery, maybe some tomato, uh, some salt, and a good glug of olive oil. I mean, by glug, I mean like half a cup to three quarters of a cup. <laughs> Place the whole thing, uh, I don't have it close to me. But... Place the whole thing in a, a baking dish such as this, like a, a cast iron, a cacotte, you know, something like this. Put the mirepoix in there, the carrot, celery, onion, tomato, whatever it is. Cover the whole thing with olive oil. Throw in a cup of water or a cup of white wine. Um, cover it and throw it in an oven for about an hour. And you want to cook it until it's tender, until the moisture is... Uh, you want to cook it for about 45 minutes or so uncovered and then finish it uncovered. And cook it until the moisture is, is about reduced down. Not to a syrup, but getting there. Let it cool down in the liquid, in the pan. Don't bother moving it. And then let it cool down fully. And once cold, then take it out and cut it. And from cold, put it onto your grill. And the reason for that is that you want all that skin, all that texture, everything about it. You want to put all of that onto the grill because that's going to give you texture, absorb flavor, get smokiness out of the grill. Uh, it's going to add visual appeal as well. Everything that's left in here, great. Man, buzz it down. Heat it up, buzz it down, and invite a prep. Add some olive oil to it again, and now you've got a delicious sauce. Hit it with a little bit of vinegar to give it some punchiness to it. There you go. I mean, it's absolutely delicious. You can. I mean, it's, it's just a really easy, straightforward way to do it. Uh, it doesn't involve dunking or beating or freezing, thawing, cycling, all these other ways of cooking octopus that can work. But this way is the most straightforward. So there you go. Hope that helps. And you know what? Uh, check, check back in because I'd love to know how that worked because it's an awesome thing. And I'm glad that you are tackling it. Cool, Tom. You're awesome. Hey, Laura. Again, I'm finding slicing, let alone mincing small foods such as shallots are worse. Garlic, ah, very challenging. If I use a chef's knife, can you share any advice on how to perform the task without making a mess or injuring myself? Sure. Sure, Laura. Um, sharpen your knife is the first thing, make, or just make sure it is as sharp as can be. Uh, a sharp knife makes a lot less mess. It makes a lot cleaner, quicker work of things, including your fingers, so be careful. Uh, but the first thing I would sort of problem solve here would be, is your knife sharp enough? If it is, you shouldn't really have much problem with things. Now, dicing a very small little clove of garlic, rewind, dicing a very small little clove of garlic, yes, I just, that happened. Anyway, rewind, dicing a very small little clove of garlic uh, can be challenging, but there are some ways, some tips or tricks, tips, 
tips, tricks, tips, techniques that I will show you to make it a little bit easier. So once it's peeled, one of the problems with garlic is that it rocks, right? Because it doesn't have a flat side necessarily. So even using a very large knife, because one of the other things I might say is to use a smaller knife that has a very thin profile to it so that you're not trying to get a big knife or a thick knife through a small thing. So give yourself a flat surface to work with. So all I've done is sliced off just a tiny little bit there. Why? Because now the garlic lays flat. So now I've got something consistent to work on, right? So now I have a lot more confidence in my fingers being able, let's see if I work right here, you can see it, right? Now I've got a lot more confidence in my fingers being, I know where they're going to be and I know that garlic is going to stay consistent. So when I'm cutting towards my fingers, as is that classic dicing motion where you cut you know, into the shallot or into the garlic this way and then come across it this way, when I'm cutting towards myself, I only make one, maybe two cuts there. Why? Because that is not where the smallness of your dice comes from. That really comes from going this way. And what's safer, cutting towards your fingers or cutting down towards the cutting board? right towards the cutting board so let the knife do the work for you if your knife is nice and sharp see what I'm doing I'm not pushing the knife through I'm drawing the knife through and then I come across and this is where I make the majority of my cuts and the reason I do that is because then when you organize it all back and you come straight across This is where you get that very fine minced texture from, which is now all over my mouse, mouse track on the computer. Um, that's where you get that very fine texture from. Now, if you don't need that fine texture, as I would recommend for garlic if it's going into a salad or a shallot, um, something like that, is, you know what, if you're just going through putting it into a saute or whatever, just Smash your garlic, so put it down, back of the knife, smack your knife down, there you go. So you end up with garlic that's now also very easy to peel. He says as he has difficulty peeling it. I show you the good, I show you reality. That's what happens here. We live in reality. I don't get things right all the time. So now you've got this, and now you've kind of got all these, it's already pretty much bunched up, so two cuts across, three cuts that way, and I've got pretty uniform garlic now, right? I mean, you saw how quick and easy that was, and that's really what you're aiming for is, uh, is consistency. In a salad, you don't want a big chunk of garlic and a tiny little one, right? Or in a saute, you don't want a tiny little chunk that's going to burn in a quarter of a second, and a big one that's not going to cook at all right? So it's all about that consistency, whatever size you're going for. But here's the other thing. In the, in, as relates to salads, you don't necessarily need to put the garlic in the salad in order for the garlic to be present in the salad. You know what? When I cut the apple 
later on for dessert on this cutting board, my wife's going to be like, damn it, there's garlic on the apple again, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Because why? Well, because the oils are really what does the work for garlic. So I just took one clove of garlic. I cut it in half. And here's my salad bowl. Salad bowl for one. It happens to be the bowl I have there. And just rub the inside of the bowl. Just rub the inside of the bowl with the cut side of the garlic. Wow, it really smells like garlic. Yeah. You get all the flavor. You get all the presence of it. You get the beauty of the garlic without the bulk or the, the presence of the garlic necessarily. So another way to do it. Also, one of my very favorite things to do is take a piece of toast straight out of the oven. Uh, toaster oven, as soon as it's out and it's nice and hot, take a crushed clove piece of garlic, brush it on top like that. The toast is now perfumed and aromatic, delicious with the beauty and aroma of garlic. So, there you go. I'm washing my hands. Hey, everybody. I'm back. Cool. Hope that helped, Laura. Hey, Zarko. Cool, man. What is some with summer around the corner and cucumbers? One of my favorite go-to refreshing veggies. Any recommendations for a simple cucumber salad? Thanks in advance. Yes. Uh, so cucumbers do really well both with spice and with sweet. Uh, cucumbers and raisins are really, really kind of shockingly good together. Cucumbers and mint, of course, are always very good together. Um, but uh, cucumbers and nuts are really one of my favorite combinations. And one of the things that I like to do with cucumbers when I am being a little fancy uh, is to uh, let them dry a little bit before using them. So, uh, like, I always find cucumber sticks are better the next day. Why? Because they dehydrate a little bit. They've gotten a little bit of texture to them. For a cucumber salad, I will also remove the... Um, um, I also remove a lot of the seeds just because they are a completely different texture uh, than what I'm necessarily aiming for with the salad. Now, I don't throw the seeds away. I just eat them right then and there. Uh but the problem is when, when you try and integrate them into a salad, you basically have two different ingredients in terms of the way they, the way they react. So the other thing about cucumbers is that they are like watermelon. They are entirely water. As soon as you salt them, they lose their texture and they begin to exude to the point where it becomes really something you have to manage. I mean, like the hydrology of, of your salad just came into question because of so much exudation. So I tend not to salt cucumber salads, but I will use a salty component, like a salty roasted pepita or salty roasted pistachios, etc. cetera. Um, that is one of the few occasions in which I will leave the salt kind of on top, use a flaky sea salt or something so that you're really getting crunches of salt rather than trying to season the whole thing. So to me, cucumbers, just pick a flavor that you really like with cucumbers. Pick a green that adds a little bit of architecture, whether it's a pea shoot, uh, which are really good with cucumbers, whether it's uh, frisé, endive frisé, something like that, that has these sort of crystalline entity architectures to it that add bulk and volume and texture. Um, and then add, you find an aromatic component. So I, I know that it's not a specific uh, recipe, uh, rather than talking through sort of the, the critical control points of success. But a specific recipe is this. Take a cucumber, peel it in bands, so you still have little pieces of the skin, which add incredible flavor, but also structural integrity. Cut it in half lengthwise. Take out the seeds. Eat the seeds. 
slice the cucumber on a bias into nice thin long strips. They're about a quarter of an inch thick, so they retain some texture to it. Mix in a bunch of pea shoots or frisee, cleaned frisee, some raisins, as well as some pistachios. Drizzle the whole thing with just a little bit of uh, peppery olive oil, add in a little bit of chili flake, and at the very end, add in just a dash of vinegar and uh, keep some salt on the side. There you go. Beautiful, compelling, delicious, nutritious salad. Thanks, Zarko. Appreciate you. Hey, Judith. Warm salads such as shard and endive. Can you suggest a good warm dressing that doesn't include bacon? Sure. Uh, I really love the bacony appeal of it. So one of the warm dressings that I like to make is a warm smoked paprika dressing. I just bought another bag of smoked sweet paprika uh, yesterday. So olive oil, onion, and a little bit, and, and uh, sweat that down until the onion is soft over high heat. You want a little bit of caramelization to it, uh, almost charring to it. So you get a little bit of this textural flavor contrast between the sweet onion and the charred bitterness. And then add just a touch of smoked paprika. Instantly add your vinegar in to stop the cooking once the spice has been toasted. Add in maybe a little bit of fennel seed for some texture and then a neutral oil. And let the whole thing maybe simmer for just a minute. There you have a beautiful very smoky, but 100% vegetarian uh, dressing that works well with any green as well as potatoes, uh, root vegetables, roasted root veg coming out of the oven, etc. Hey, thanks, Judith. Always, always appreciate you joining. All right, from Catherine M. Hey there. Again, what is a simple list of ingredients for preparing your own dressing and to do a variety of dressings? Uh, so I talked earlier about the variety of oils that I have the agramati, which is the scented olive, uh, scented extra virgin olive oils. I have a workaday olive oil. I've got a fancy olive oil uh, for drizzling, finishing. You know, I use this on oysters, on crudo preparations, things like that. I'll also use it on salads. Other oils I've got, just a regular old olive oil, not a extra virgin, but just an olive oil. A little bit of flavor, but really more neutral. Uh, I then have a roasted butternut squash seed oil, which I use pretty interchangeably with sesame seed oil, uh, but it doesn't have that sort of defining cuisine flavor aesthetic that sesame seed oil does. So it, it works equally well in Asian-style dressings as it does in more Western flavor approaches. I also have some pistachio oil around the house pretty regularly. I just, I just love pistachio oil. Is it expensive? Yes, it's expensive. Do you need four drops of it? Yeah, that's about it. So a little bit goes a long way. And then I talked about the various vinegars that I have. And between that, you have a complete range. I mean, the permutations and combinations you can make from these alone are, are significant. Uh, ginger, shallots, garlic, green onion, uh, are good aromatic components in terms of base uh, ingredients, things to thicken or sort of provide a backbone. Mustard, I think of mustard, uh, mayonnaise, and tomatoes as equal there. And the way that I would do a tomato vinaigrette, uh, I've got these little cherry tomatoes my son loves in his lunches that we send with him. We typically grow these um, as well and freeze them. So I just cut them in half. I put them in a little Tupperware container. Uh, I'll add vinegar. I'll add my oil, and I'll add salt. And then I'll make a cocktail out of them. I'll shake them. 
yay. And just that physical action of smushing them and crushing them in the container covered uh, is enough to emulsify everything together for the tomatoes to break down enough so that they integrate in as, as a sauce more than chunks. Uh, so that sort of combination profile of what's your base, mustard, mayo, tomato, if you want an emulsified one, uh, what's your aromatic? Do I want some garlic, shallot, must, uh, garlic, shallot, ginger, green onion in there? And then choose your vinegar, choose your oil. There you go. Easy, done. And in fact, salad dressings was the first responsibility I ever had in cooking. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, we had salads every night. And it was making the salad dressings. That was my, that was my entry point. So I love me a salad dressing. Anyway. Hey, thanks, Catherine. All right, from Kelly. Interested in main meal salads. Great. So I talked through a couple of different uh, ideas for that. So a main meal salad is going to have to include a nutrition profile. That's a little bit more intricate than just a salad for a digestive purpose or for a sort of palate introduction course, etc. So you're going to need to find a way to integrate wild rice, puffed rice, beans, grains, quinoa, etc. Um, you're going to have a lot more bulk to your salad and just more volume overall in order to get that satiation. So the way to think about that is what is my main component? Is it a chickpea that I you know, take out of a can, drain, and then roast in the oven until it's nice and warm, a little bit crisp, and then at the very end, hit it with vinegar, some diced shallots, some herbs, and then use that as the base? Etc. Sort of find out what is your base ingredient, and then build off of that. Um, and you know, when you look to main ingredient salads, that's when you really look outside of the Western or at least the American uh, culinary canon, uh, and you very quickly find that uh, almost every cuisine has hot dishes or salads that are already sort of attuned to nutritional profiles. Um, and you know, there's great books like uh, Yotamata Lenghi's books from, uh, I forget the name of his, of his books right now for some reason, uh, but Middle Eastern cuisines really do an incredible job uh, or have an incredible array of, of main salad ideas and certain nutrition profiles. So check those out. Awesome. Hey, thanks. All right, from Brenda. Often make a fennel apple slaw. How else can I use fennel? What goes with it? And some dressing ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So fennel is one of my very favorite ingredients. Uh, I make a lot of shaved fennel salads myself. Uh, so when I shave fennel, I often have the ingredient that I'm talking about right in front of me. So fennel bulb. So what I will do is I will trim off just a little bit of this top, not so much to get rid of it so much as to make the cutting of it work. I will then uh, cut just on one side of it down. So I will split the bulb like this. And the reason for that is that now I have enough structural integrity here with these in order to be able to slice. I do not slice fennel vertically. I don't like the texture of it. Uh, I don't think it breaks down. I don't think it yields as much of its aromatic and flavor components as it does when you slice it across. It's also the same thing with an onion 
when you go to caramelize an onion, right, you cut it top to bottom. You never cut it across. Why? Because in the cooking process, it will just completely break down because the cellular structure of the onion grows like this, right, top to bottom. Those are the sheets of the onion. So if you cut across them, you basically don't have any structure that you're working with. Same thing with the fennel. They grow much like an onion, like a bulb, right? So they have these leaves. When you cut across them, you open all of those up to the flavors and the textures and the aromas, all those volatile chemicals that are, that are in them that make it really worth eating, you expose those. Because you're not cooking the fennel, you don't have to deal with, there, there's no inhibiting, you're not inhibiting the structure of your dish by doing so. So I always cut fennel this way and then come across this way. And the reason why I do it, uh, cut it with all of this on one side and this on the other side is so that, well, I've got something I can actually work with and use my knife against. So cut as very thinly as you possibly can uh, all the way down to the base. I will trim out the bottom by just doing that and then just sort of nicking it out. And in terms of flavor combinations, you're right uh, to, you know, the fennel apple slaw. Though fennel seems like it is sweet, uh, it is in itself not very sweet. It's a cool ingredient, like a cucumber is cool uh, in its flavor. I'm not just euphemism here. Um, but what I really love with fennel are oranges or any kind of citrus and olives, green olives in particular. Uh, is just a ma ma magical combination that I absolutely love. Uh, it is one of my wife's very, very favorite foods. It lasts well. The slight acidity, the acidity of the citrus juice helps to slightly break down the fennel, sort of bringing its flavor components to the fore. It's just magical. There you go. And I don't think you ever need a creamy dressing with fennel. Uh, just olive oil, vinegar uh, is good enough, or citrus juice. Cheers. Hey, thanks, Brenda. All right. Hey, Catherine Z. Nice to see you, friend. Always great to see you pop up. How do you feel about fruit salads? What's your favorite fruit salad combo, seasonal or not? I'm personally partial to a late summer white peach. Yes, green grape salad with lime zest and juice. Oh, hell yeah. Dang. Yes. Okay. Yes, what you said. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just beat whatever I'm going to say. Done. Um, I love fruit salads, but fruit salads are just like every other salad in that they need balance in both uh, flavor they need balance in taste, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, uh, and they need balance in terms of texture. So a watermelon salad with lime juice and mint or cilantro uh, with chunks of feta cheese or goat cheese in it is absolutely delicious because it has all of those components to it. Your salad, uh, white peach, which has the a, a sort of a, a, a very elegant background flavor. It's not the, the yellow peach where it just sort of sings forward. Uh, I can see that being drawn out by the, the snappy elastic texture of the grape, uh, as well as the contrast and sweetness to slight sourness there. Add the lime juice in um, and the zest. Like That salad really works because of all those balances. So uh, watermelon and tomatoes work really well together. Any fruit and mint uh, work exceedingly well together, not just mint as in like that, the garnish you put on top. No, no, just eat the mint. Eat it. Pick the whole thing and then eat it. Put all the leaves in there and it's absolutely delicious. Black pepper, chili pepper works really well. Lime juice works really well. So again, getting back to that balance and don't be afraid to mix savory and sweet. 
Um, not just for the heck of it, but because it works. Tomatoes and watermelon work. Peaches and uh, tomatoes work really well together. Uh, peaches and butternut squash work really well together in sort of a mashup of seasons. So there you go. Catherine, uh, invite me over to your house for that uh, salad sometime, please, because I would love to try it. Thanks. Hey, Terry B. Want to eat more kale, but find it tough. Should I chop it smaller, remove the stems, soak it prior, or something else to make it easier to enjoy in my salads? Yeah. So the first thing would be just to buy baby kale, uh, which is widely available uh, in, you know, from Walmart everywhere else, uh, just using that as a common denominator. Um, so baby kale is going to be uh, a lot more texturally easier to work with. Uh, if you are using larger kale, such as the lacinato or dinosaur kale, fully grown leaves, yes, removing the stems. I braise the stems into whatever dish I have going. That They're innocuous enough in flavor that I, you can just add them into anything, including like a tomato sauce if they're chopped up finely. Um, so don't waste them. But then those larger leaves, salt them, a little bit of water, and then massage them. Massage your kale. Yeah. Tell people what you're doing because otherwise they're going to think you're just being a, kind of a creep like me just over here, like smiling and massaging your, your salad and, you know, tell them what you're doing. I am softening my salad leaves, making the digestion better, but also enhancing their flavor and vitality of nutrients. <laughs> right. That's what you're doing. So just a, a quick little uh, massage and then let them sit for a little while. Let them macerate in that salt. Let that salt break down some of the cellular structure uh, of that lineous fibrous tissue. And you will find that you have a much more easily chewed, more digestible product. Uh, you don't necessarily need to cut them smaller. That just does one of the chews for you, but you're still going to be sitting there chewing it, massaging or buying baby kale. There you go. Uh, how do I preserve salad greens? Catherine B. answered that a little bit earlier. So uh, moist paper towel, rolling them up, keeping them in the crisper drawer, or buying smaller packages for growing them yourself. Leslie N., hi there. Is it possible to create good dressings that don't contain dairy and can be made without any oil? Any advice on that, please? Absolutely can be. Uh, from pureeing tofu with a little bit of water, um, using nuts as a base, uh, so whole almonds, slivered almonds, pepitas, pistachios, etc. So you're getting that whole food nutrition, but also that as your binder. Um, puree that with a little bit of water. I mean, you can use a natural peanut butter as your thickener. Um, and again, you're not adding just oil. You're adding the entire plant uh, in a, or the entire food in a, in a pureed form. So using that as your basis both adds that fatty richness, that sort of balancing and sort of carrying flavor. Oh, hi, little one. My little nine-month-old just came home. Hey. Yes, honey. Hi. Huh? You're on? Yeah. I'm, oh, I think it's archived. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. This is my guy. This is my guy. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I love you so. Um so now we're not going to get anything done, are we? Yeah. So using peanut butter, stuff like that. Thanks, honey. Um, peanut butter, things like that as, as your basis. Uh, mustard is also a really great way to add um, emulsification, that creaminess, that richness to it. Um, so there you go. Hope that helps. All right. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. Answered a bunch of those questions there. Okay, well, we still got a lot more questions to go, and I, I am going to have to say goodbye pretty soon, so we'll do just a couple more. Uh, Trisha, when addressing calls for citrus juice, any ideas what I can use to replace it? So uh, vinegar is going to be what I would recommend there from any of the ones that I've mentioned previously. Uh, and if that is too strong, feel free to water down your vinegar. Uh, there's no reason you have to use it from the bottle just as, excuse me, just as is. Uh, there's also uh, unfermented, uh, there's a, a product called Verjus, V-E-R-J-U-S, which is the unfermented grape juice of wine grapes. So Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon. It is the grape juice that has been pressed and then boiled to stop it from fermenting. Um, but that is a wonderful little acidic component that can be uh, used in place of vinegars, in place of citrus juices. Cool. Uh, from Bernice, I thought raw beets would make you vomit. Is this not true? Uh, I have never heard that. And uh, there are uh, broad swaths of, of northern and northeastern, northeastern European cuisine that, that include raw beets in a lot of different ways. Uh, I've also eaten them myself very many plenty of times and have never had any hint of indigestion, let alone a full-blown incident. So I'm going to say no. No. Yeah, don't, don't, you know, no Ipecac vinaigrette. But yeah, I think you're good, Bernice. Thanks. That's an interesting question. I'm going to look into that, though. All right. Um, oh, Catherine. Cool. You're visiting Maine. Awesome. Hey, you know what? Send me an email. Let's connect because I, I would love to set you up with some recommendations or, or whatever else we can help you with up here. Uh, we, we're thrilled to have you up in Maine. This is great. Yes, it's nice that the world is opening up again. We would welcome you. Um, uh, Kelly, hi. When you make dressings for your salad, do you put in fresh herbs in the dressing or the salad? Uh, great question, Kelly. You know what? I would put them in the salad themselves. So the reason why is that once in the vinaigrette, uh, you're going to lose a little bit of their elegance, uh, of their vivacity, of their sort of finesse. They're going to get muted as the acidity sort of acts on their volatile chemicals. Uh, when they're in the salad themselves, they add texture. They add these little components of flavor bursts, right? If you're thinking about like you know, chopped up uh, tarragon. If you're thinking about whole leaves of parsley or fronds of dill and fennel, they add wonderful texture to it. So I would say add it to the salad in whatever volume. You know, Obviously, you're going to add a lot more parsley to something than you would tarragon uh, just because of the intensity of flavor. Uh, the exception here would be with hard herbs, thyme, sage, rosemary, things that you wouldn't really want to eat just – chew on in your mescaline, right? You wouldn't want a rosemary stalk in there. In that case, yeah, put them in the vinaigrette. Shake it all up together so that you're bruising the rosemary. You're getting some of its oils to infuse into the sauce so you get some of that flavor, but you don't get that textural distraction. So there you go. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate that. From Kathy C., visit a good friend who has GERD after radiation treatment for lung cancer. She's not supposed to eat acid or highly spiced foods. I'm wondering if you have any ideas for making a tasty salad dressing that's low in acid. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You can make very tasty vinaigrettes. Uh, so it's going to be a combination of things that I would suggest. Some fruit juice. 
uh, aware that fruit juice has acidity in it, but something like a, uh, and I'm not thinking orange or, or lemon juice, but an apple juice, um, uh, pomegranate juice, something like that in very small quantities mixed with lots of fresh herbs, um, is really going to add a, a, a very elegant com composition to the flavor, uh, as well as provide those counterpoints of interest uh, that will help mitigate the absence of acidity. Uh, the other thing to do there is to use a lot less oil or fat, so you're not trying to balance this much fat with this much acidity. Just take the whole thing down here um, fruit juice, diluted fruit juice, even broths, vegetable broth can work really well in that case as well. So cool. Hope that helps. And spices, uh, you know, there are spices like crushed fennel seeds, things like that, that are not, uh, that are in fact, you know, help to aid digestion in, in a lot of anecdotal, uh, readings that I've done, uh, things like that. So when you think spice, rack don't necessarily think it's all the same. Yes, cayenne pepper and fennel seeds are not going to have the same effect on digestion there. Ginger as well is a calming spice, uh, even though it adds a great deal of vivacity and personality to things. So hope that helps. And all the very best to your friend. Thank you for your love that you are showing them. And uh, cooking for them is one of the ultimate acts of kindness. So thank you for what you're doing for your friend, but your friends are also a member of our community. So for our friend too. Pamela, any ideas for creative plating? Uh, yes, uh, there are a lot of ideas for creative plating. Um, one of it would be to, you know, whoa, hi child. Uh, take some, sorry, I have a shrieking little banshee over here. Uh, take some butternut squash or something and very thinly shave it and sort of push it around the plate, uh, almost like a, um, Oh my gosh, what's, what's the dish when you have like tuna all the way on a plate and it's like filet mignon sliced very thin? Carpaccio, I got there. Carpaccio, <laughs> like a butternut. We forgot you. Good, uh, a butternut squash carpaccio or uh, you know a, a shaved beet carpaccio where you have the entire bottom of the plate is uh, is covered in that, and so you, you have this, just this really good color hue, or even beets, turnips, and butternut squash um, sort of interlaid amongst each other, so that there's this incredible visual appeal, but also textural under undertone uh, to the salad. Things like that are really fun. Um, you know, in ages past, creative salad plating meant carrot rosettes and tomato flowers and fluted mushrooms, which don't add anything and I don't recommend going that way. Uh, but the other thing to do is think about using maybe a sushi wrapper, nori, to roll your salad greens and then put the dressing around the outside so that you're doing these little sort of organized salad type things where it eats like sushi and you kind of dip in the vinaigrette, but it's the same ingredient. So think about construction uh, of your dish more so than creative elements of the ingredients. Uh, and I think in that way, you might open yourself up to thinking architecturally about salad uh, and open some some ways. Cool. Hey, Laura P. Thanks for sharing grateful moments as always. Yeah, thank you, friend. Uh, I appreciate that um, 
you allow me to do that with you. So thank you. I, you've said such before uh, in the comments, so I appreciate you joining again. I'm grateful for you, Laura P. Thank you. From Babazi. Hello, friend. Uh, chef, I love salad. I eat salad to boost my immunity. And what a way to go out with that, right? So why do we eat salads? What is the purpose of salad is the first thing I led into this with. Well, the purpose of salad is to enter ourselves into a beautiful meal, to eat seasonally, to eat of the things we have available to us, to give thanks for that which we have available, and to feed others with the same love. So, Mubazi, thank you very much for that comment. Thank you for joining today, all of you. Join us again uh, in these events. You'll be getting an updated email. Reach out to me, barton at ruby.com, if ever I can do anything for you. Please check out any number of my books available for sale wherever fine books are sold. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you. Take good care, folks. Bye.